Imagine this, unaware that it's about to be thrust into the middle of a centuries-old cosmic conflict. Earth discovers an unknown object spotted near Pluto, followed by another on Mars. A team of experts on the maiden flight of a first-of-its-kind spaceship are sent to investigate. Sabotage threatens the mission and the security of the United States as the president and his advisors search for solutions. With enemies on fronts both terrestrial and otherwise, the stakes soon become apparent to a nation embroiled in a conflict like anything it's ever faced before. First-time author Phil Sheehan comes out of the gate with a sci-fi blockbuster titled Happenstance, and I'm thrilled to have Phil on my show. Welcome, Phil. Thank you, Delia. I'm equally thrilled to be on it. Uh, that was exciting just hearing you read the summary. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> well, and anybody out there who's a science fiction fan or techno thriller, you are going to want to listen closely to this interview. Um, but before we get too far into the book, Phil, I like for listeners to sort of know who the author is. So why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself, your background, and whatever secrets you want us to know. Oh, boy, that's a loaded question. But, uh, okay, I'll try to go with a short version. Um, I actually was born in Connecticut right, uh, on a dairy farm with Holstein cows, raised in upstate New York, the uh, more rural side of the state versus New York City, and uh, left there to go to my undergraduate degree in engineering in SUNY Buffalo, from there, headed to Ohio, where I worked in the aerospace industry for about eight years. Also got a master's in engineering while I was there. Met my wife, Sue, in Ohio. And uh, that was the beginning of a long journey that where it stands today, we went through Florida for a couple of years. We've been in Colorado for the last 21 years. And we have seven soccer-crazed kids that... Uh, between a demanding job in the aerospace industry and seven kids that play soccer 12 months a year, um, we do quite a bit of running around all the time, but wouldn't trade it for anything. Um, I love the outdoors, which being in Colorado, you can't ask for much more. I love reading and I love writing. This book has been a lifelong dream. I've wanted to do it for a long time, just for some reason couldn't find the time. Finally forced the time, and uh, here we are. I, I very much enjoyed writing the book, learned a ton. And in case you're wondering, yes, it will be a series. I'm already working on the second one. So that's, that's a quick wow. intro, Delilah. <laughs> that, yes, and, and that says a lot. And I think my biggest question is how in the world with, with the demanding job and seven children, soccer all the time, how do you find time to write a novel? <laughs> That's what took me so long to get it done, I think. I finally, uh, about six years ago, decided i got to make the time. <clears throat> the truth is, though, because of what you just said, the only time I could find, or at least at that point successfully find, was Christmas break where I'd get a couple weeks off and I'd write. And I'd write as much as I could, and then I'd wait till the next Christmas break and have to reread what I did to figure out where I was and then take off again. So it took me six years to finish it that way. But uh, like I hinted to, I've learned a tremendous amount. I think I've also fueled my love to write even more. So my goal is now I am finding time any every weekend, even if it's two hours, just to write. 
my goal is to have the sequel out uh, the same time next year, um, in June of next year. Well, how did you how did you come up with the title Happenstance? How does that tie into science fiction? It's a good question. I think uh, without giving away too much of the book, um, you read the the intro there or the highlight for it. Um, a lot of things in this book happen by perhaps divine intervention or happenstance. And I thought it, I had a liking of a one-word title and happenstance. When you see some of the things that happen in the book, just felt like it fit. That's interesting. So do you I – know, I know I've interviewed a lot of authors over the years, and I, there's some who, who like, outline. They get the plot in their head or the ideas in their head and start writing. And then there's others – who come up with a title first, and they, they they come up with the title and then write the book. How does that work that's for you? That's interesting. Okay, I know I. Um, of course, you got to remember you're talking to an engineer, so Excel software obviously comes into it. <laughs> I'm a geek, <laughs> but uh, I didn't have a name when I began. I had a concept of what I wanted to do, so my way of approaching it was to write a few pages of things I wanted to include in the book. And once I thought I had my arms wrapped around the concept for the book, then uh, I literally took Excel. <laughs> I made multiple swim lanes in it because the book has, uh, it's a sci-fi, but it's also a techno thriller. So in a lot of good techno thrillers, there's multiple things going on within the book, and they don't really come together until close to the end. So that's the approach I took, and I made um, a number of rows in Excel, and then I would just put the chapter I wanted to as I went from left to right uh, with the proper swim lane, and that way I could see and make sure I got back and forth between the different swim lanes, made sure they were integrated, and after I had that laid out, then I started writing. Um, and it was only after, well, I'll bet you I was a, at least a third way through the book before I narrowed it down to maybe three or four names, and we finally picked Happenstance. That's really interesting. I, and, and again, I like to pick an author's brain as to how their process works. And I don't think I've ever heard this one before. So, you know, maybe you're on to something. Or did you did you make this up? Or did you read a book on how to write a book? Well, that would have been the smart thing to do is to read a book on how to make a book. But no, I, <laughs> engineers don't like to read directions. They like to write them. So, no, I just kind of winged it. And uh it did work for me, though, so that is how I'm, I'm already a third of the way through the sequel to show that I am making much more progress than I did the previous time, and I'm using the same approach, and I have found it really helps me get my thoughts um, sequenced and laid out, and it's real easy that way to go back if I find another vein of the action I want to integrate into the book. It's very easy to go back into the Excel spreadsheet, at least in the mind of an engineer. My wife would just... Well, it's probably be batting her eyes right now going, don't even attempt to understand them. <laughs> but it, it worked for me. But, well, you may, have, you may have just given authors all over the world a, a brand new tip on how to get through your book and, and pull it all together at the end. That's really interesting. <laughs> <laughs> well, so we'll see, what, but thank well, you. Yeah, and so... After you finished your manuscript, uh, did you have a publisher in mind, or did you submit it to uh, multiple publishers? I know you eventually 
went with Wild Glue Press. This is, you know, I, I talk about happenstance and divine intervention. You know, they, most, they may both be playing here. So, again, I mean, this is really something that has tugged at my heart for a long time. I had this story that just wanted to come out of me and get the paper. So I have a neighbor, Scott Gage, great guy, best neighbor you could ever hope to have. And he has a uh, horse, a, a number, a couple of horses in the back, and I have a soccer pitch because, once again, all my kids play soccer. So we always meet at the edge of the property in between the horses and the soccer field and solve all the world's problems, as well as compare notes on my book as I was writing it. And when I finally got it done, we met one day and I said, I got it done. And Scott looked at me and he said, well, what are you going to use for a publisher? And I said, you know, I don't even know where to start. Not a clue. And he said, I never told you, but my wife's brother is a publisher. <laughs> so small world, that's how I got hooked up with Wild Blue. It was almost like it was meant to be them living right next door to us. So I submitted it to Wild Blue. And again, here comes the... Uh, you know, sometimes you got to take your ego and just throw it out the window, um, the learning part of the process. I didn't take the time to check into how you're supposed to do these things. I submitted the manuscript, and uh, the Wild Blue, Stephen and Michael were great. They did finally get back to me, and they said, you know, you have a story in here, but to quote them, and, and I mean this positively, nobody should take this wrong, they said, you have a story in there, but it's sloppy. You should find yourself an editor. So I was like, okay, and they said, come, come back when you've done that. So they left the door wide open, which was great. So I started thinking, man, now what do I do? i got to find an editor. Where do you start to find an editor? And it hit me, soccer. So once again, happenstance, divine intervention, you know, both. My son, Kevin, played with a young man, Isaiah, years ago in soccer who moved away. And I had remembered his wife or his mom was an editor. So I looked her up on uh, Google, and I, oh, man, she's edited a lot of stuff, Annie Daywood. And I found it all over Amazon, and I was like, she's for real. So I called her up, still had her number after digging through the records. She answers the phone, and I said, hi, this is Phil Sheehan. She goes, hi, hey, did you ever finish that book you started writing years ago? <laughs> and I said, funny you should ask. So I hooked up with Annie, and she was a godsend. She was fantastic. She worked with me all the way through the book. We actually cut like 90 pages out of it. So it's over 500 pages now. It was over 600 when we started. Um, and that was the balance between, you know, sci-fi likes to have a lot of content in it, but the techno-thriller readers may not want as much content. They want to get into the action. So she helped me wean some of that content out and still keep it so that it could live in the sci-fi world, but also in the techno-thriller world. But her biggest challenge, you know, I'm an engineer. What do they say about engineers? <laughs> they don't spell it right all that well at times. I thought I was a good writer, but I'm finding that uh, my use of the comma could definitely use some improvement. So my joke with Annie, if she listens to this, she'll love it. And it's in the book on the upfront and the thank you is she charged me by the hour on the first book. And I would guess she's most probably going to charge me by the comma on the second book. <laughs> She'll make out better. <laughs> yeah, you, so you will that. make a wealthy woman. <laughs> yeah. We finished that last uh, late last year and then resubmitted it to uh, Wild Blue. And then in February, 
um, I got this email and it showed up in my uh, inbox and I took a quick look at it thinking, well, this might be my dear Phil email, but it was an email mm -hmm. from Michael and Steven saying, we'd like to offer you a contract. And man, I was on cloud nine for the next 15 minutes and took us a few months to go through their process. And now it's released and out on Amazon. So pretty fun, that pretty fun thrilling. journey, full of learning ton of learning so the next one will go yeah. quicker well they say you know behind every good book is the best editor it's well worth your time effort and investment um to get a good editor there's there's so many books out there now i mean obviously the publishing industry has has metamorphosized into who knows what and everybody that thinks they're a great writer really isn't so there's a lot to wade through, and I think that's one thing that I really respect about Wild Blue Press is they are very selective. Believe me, they are very selective um, about their authors, and so you are in excellent company there. And they they were great to work with. They really were. Ashley and AJ worked with me to get it through the final edit and the stages. And uh, it just it's been a very enjoyable process so far. So anybody out there looking for a publisher you haven't picked one yet, I would absolutely suggest you try Wild Blue. You look at some of the big name publishers, and I'm you know okay they're bigger. I'm sure they can bring some more stuff to bear, but you also can wait a very very long time and possibly never even hear back from those big publishers. Wild Blue's got a nice uh, position in the middle, and it's kind of like. Dealing with somebody you know, uh, it's uh, it was yeah. a treat. Well, you know, and just while we're on the subject of pump, uh, pumping up Wild Blue Press, and just so listeners know this, it's Steve and a lot of the original authors were New York Times best-selling authors. So, a publishing company that was founded by best-selling authors brings something totally different to the table because they know both sides of the game and they, they are doing just a fantastic job. And every author that I've had the pleasure of interviewing from Wild Blue has, has said the same thing that you're saying tonight is that, you know, the process has been great. They're great to work with. And, you know, the, the, Royalties are fair, and everything is just above board. And I, I w I'm with you. Anyone out there who's got a book that they're looking for a, a publisher, submit it. You might get in, you might not, but it's it's definitely worth the the try, don't you think? Absolutely. I think you just summed them up quite well. So it's a good let's, bunch, let's, and that's where I'm going with we, my next one. <laughs> Good. <laughs> They'll probably keep you around a while if you keep writing. <laughs> yeah. So now that we've we've plugged Wild Blue and they're going to get all kinds of business and become extremely wealthy and retired writers, <laughs> let's go back to what type of books do you like to read? What what started you, I guess, into into the interest of science fiction and um, techno thrilling? thrillers that's a good question i've read quite a bit quite a variety over the years but if i go back to uh when i was a young kid i think i was growing up on good old dr seuss and comic books but my dad was the one that first introduced me to uh i would say novels 
and that was through Westerns with um, uh, Louis L'Amour and Gray, you know, some of the great, uh, Zane Gray, some of the great Westerns, I've read all of those. Uh, and then he got me into science fiction. He introduced me to Isaac Asimov in the, in the Foundation Trilogy, which to me is one of the all-time great classics. What a phenomenal series. Um, and also The War of the Worlds from H.G. Wells. And uh, that hooked me. Once I had those two under my belt, um, it was like I couldn't get enough of sci-fi. There's a lot of different types of sci-fi out there, everything from the wizardry to the space stuff and a number of things in between. But I tend to like the space side of it. Um, I also read, uh, I mean, my later years, I've gotten into a lot more techno thrillers with, uh, Michael Creighton. Um, you know, think about, uh, Tom Clancy and some of those great books he's read. I like those two genre a lot, technical, technical, techno thrillers and sci-fi. So my goal on this book was to try to marry the two. Um, I think, uh, when you think of Jurassic Park and The Prey and some of those books by Michael Creighton, he did a good job of marrying the two together. So that's what I, my goal that I set out to do was, was uh, to hopefully uh, entice both the techno thriller and the sci-fi fans out there. Um, I also had a uh, my best man. Um, unfortunately, if you read the book, the good news, bad news, maybe it's in honor of my dad and uh, my best man, Norman Nissen. Both of them were avid readers. They've both passed on since then. Uh, I wish they could have read it. I think they would have liked it. But uh, my dad, again, got me into it. Norman was most probably, no, not most probably, definitely the most well-read individual I've ever met in my life. He he was the bookworm. I mean, the epitome of the bookworm. Any book he could get a hold of, he would read. And we would trade books back and forth, and that just furthered my interest in uh, the sci-fi uh, genre. And uh, that's really how I got to that side of the world with writing. I was convinced I was going to write on space, but I also wanted to keep it tied to reality. So I wanted to walk the edge of sci-fi, if that makes sense. Uh, when you read the book, you'll find a lot of actual locations, a lot of actual people, a lot of actual science, and a lot of actual history that I've tried to weave through the book while I invent a little bit of technology and also add some entities that would definitely define it as sci-fi. And I've woven that all together, hopefully in a way that readers will enjoy and, uh, like I said, lead to the sequel. Great. Well, let's let's talk a little bit about the book. I mean, without giving away everything, can you kind of um, summarize the plot line? Tell us a little bit about some of the characters. Yeah, that's 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 most probably the toughest one because I don't want to give away any of the plot lines. Let me go to the characters. Uh, Blake Thompson is the main character. Uh, he's a military guy, SEAL. Uh, great history. That ties all the way back. There's a historical tie to 9-11 in the book. Uh, and he's, he's a master planner. And those skills come in quite heavily throughout the book. He has a crew of specialized uh, SEALs with him. It's not your normal SEAL team of just shoot them up as the movies like to make it, although they do obviously do a lot of that. This would be a highly intellect group of SEALs who can also fight and have special capabilities on each of them. Um, quite a bit of personality within a group that I'm trying to explore even more in the sequel. And they start uh, as a SEAL team, 
and then somehow get pulled into a new uh, a new journey that, uh, as you laid out at the beginning of this call, would tie into something that has been found at Mars and something that's been found out near Pluto, of which nobody has any idea what it is, how it got there, or anything else about it, so they start that journey. As they start the journey, uh, there is a tremendous amount of suspense and action that's associated with that journey, but there's also a tremendous amount of suspense and action with things going on on planet Earth. So the book is written so that one foot is on Earth and one foot is out in space. As I mentioned earlier, there's a number of different action lines going on at the same time, so it jumps around from action line to action line and then uh, comes together to the, at the end to try to have an explosive finish to the book. So what, I'm just out of curiosity, what sort of time frame is this in? I mean, is this in the way future? Is it in the present? When does it take place? <laughs> it's going to sound crazy when I tell you all of the above. The book actually starts a long time ago, and then there's a jump in time, and it re-picks up about a decade in the future. But, like I said, there's a tremendous amount of recent and older history in the book that uh, that ties everything together and makes it feel like, okay, this could this might be something that happens 10 years from now. That's very interesting. Now, what, what would you say to readers who maybe have never dipped their toes into science fiction or maybe has uh, thought about it but just – didn't really think they would like it. How how would you encourage them to take a chance on happenstance? I think uh, the excitement level of the book, I, the people that have read it, I had test readers, the editor, the publisher, and, and I've had a number of people finish the book since it went out. Uh, the ultimate compliment, that now that I can say I'm an author, <laughs> I couldn't say that prior to this, um, the ultimate compliment that somebody can give you, and I did receive this, was when they were 50 pages from the end of the book, they told me they were disappointed. And my first reaction was, what? You know, did I lose something? And they said they were disappointed because they knew the end of the book was coming and they didn't want it to end. And I'm just being honest and sincere. That you couldn't, I couldn't have received a better compliment than that. And uh, that, I hope, is enough to entice people to say, okay, maybe this is worth reading. The, the other uh, hook I would bait with is if you have any creativity, and everybody has creativity, that, that's what I, I love, innovation and creativity. I actually started my engineering world in R&D, research and development. Uh, everybody has that type of interest, just at different levels. The book has quite a bit of creativity to it, so I think you would enjoy that. It has a lot of action and Everybody I ever knew, whether you read Westerns, you read techno thrillers, sci-fi, um, real-world history books. Uh, you know, Think about the war books from World War One, World War II. They're about action. They're about suspense. And I, I think I've – I'd like to think anyway that I've successfully put a significant amount on that that will keep your attention as you read through the book. So what – when you were – Pulling all of your ideas together, what was what was the main goal? What was it that you wanted to be sure that readers take away from this book? 
boy, I don't know if there was one. Um, I wanted, I, I've read a lot of books, like I'm sure you have too. There are books I pick up that, and I'm talking about even before I read my book or wrote my book. There are books you pick up that sometimes you feel, you know, there's just too much detail here. Get, let, let's get back to the action. And then there are other books that you pick up that, it's like, okay, I'm not sure I connected the dots between Chapter 3 and Chapter 7. You lost me somewhere. And you put the book down, I, I, and you don't come back to it. And my, my goal was, number one, I'll be honest, I just I wanted to publish a book. So this, really, this first one really was for me. It was a lifelong dream. It was on my bucket But the second goal would be, I don't want anybody to, to want to put the book down. I, I want people, and that's what I've heard so far, is I want them to, to you know, before they go to bed at night, it's like, darn it, i got to put the book down. I've got to go to bed tonight and get up tomorrow morning and, and then come back from work at the end of the day and pick it right back up and keep reading. Uh, to me, success would be that people read this book in a week because they can't put it down. That that's I want to generate that kind of excitement with the reader, that they love it as much as I did writing it, because I, honest to God, just had a blast writing this book. I bet you did, even though it did take a long time, but you got yeah. it done. <laughs> and like I said, cool. the 12 months, you and I will be back on the phone again, and we'll be doing the sequel. <laughs> well, I hope we do. So speaking of the sequel, where where do you see, I mean, I know I don't want you to talk about things in the book, but one of the things that I think is is pretty cool, I like a book like you're talking about, and I I have to say I didn't I wasn't able because I didn't have time to get through it, but something that jumps around in history a little bit. Um, I think that's that is a lot of interest to me and in how you're able to tie past events into present events and, and then weave it into future events. Um, how does that all work for you in this book? Um, a lot of things were in my head that I wanted to connect, but I, I wouldn't be honest with you if I told you everything was. So sometimes the amazing invention called Google <laughs> that exists today that didn't exist you know, 20, 30 years ago um, if I knew there was something I wanted to try to tie together but I didn't have a significant event, I'd go out and research. I did a lot of research while I did this book. And, uh, you know, maybe that's the engineer side of me. I enjoyed doing that. So sometimes as I was doing research, I would find an interesting fact that I hadn't even thought about integrating into the book, but it fit. So then I would interweave it back into the book in order to try to tie something together. The irony, one irony I have to say, though, is because it took six years to do it, which is, again, part of the reason why I'm going to do the next one in 12 months, it was actually humorous and frustrating at the same time. There were a couple of things I built into the book that were supposed to be future projections that happened during the six years while I was writing it. And I had to go back and change the book because it was like, oh, nuts. <laughs> How often did that happen? That happened on three three different items. So I had to make slight modifications to the book before I got to the publisher to, to uh, make it fit. 
So you're you're weaving a little bit of your psychic abilities in there as well. <laughs> Either that, or it's a it's a testament that um, I did try to keep it close to reality in many cases. And when right. you keep it close to reality, there's a good chance you might trip over it once in a while. <laughs> that's that's quite interesting. That that in itself would be interesting to uh, read through the book and see what what's going to happen next in the future. So, I mean, without giving away the ending of this book, obviously, you have do you have characters that are going to carry on through the series um, the, into the second the team, book? Yes, the team definitely carries on. Um, there will be a couple that uh, that may fall. There's a core of a team. It's like a good football or a good soccer team. There's a core there that carries on season after season. There's some that fall away along the way, and then there's some new ones that get picked up along the way, and I think that would be a good analogy of what I'm doing with this series. Very good. Very I've always good enjoyed self. reading series of books. I mean, I'll, I'll pick up a, a technical book like The Alchemy of Error I just recently read. That was an, just an incredible, incredibly interesting book about real-life science and history, The Alchemy of Error. But other than that, I, I do like reading series where you follow characters through a few books. I have to agree with you because, it, like you were saying, your readers are saying they, they just didn't want to put the book down, didn't want it to end. And at least if you're in a series, you know, you can carry on somewhat into a whole different world, so to speak, and continue on with the story, with the characters. Because I think, I, I know when I read through a series of books, you get very attached to the characters. And yes. do you find that you you want people to be attached to your characters? And how are you going to do that? How are you getting those readers pulled into um, your characters? I'm trying to make them real. I'm trying to make them, um, in some cases, very serious, very funny. I mean, there's multiple different uh elements of uh, character that you try to build to round out the characters. Um, that was a challenge. I mean, when I look at coming into the book, if I looked at what my biggest fears or challenges were, one was character development that you're touching on. And I really didn't know how to rate it myself. But from what I'm getting from the readers who have read it so far is they are quite excited about the character development and they pointed it out without me even asking it. So I, I think I must have at least gotten some success there. In the second book, I'm going to develop it more. My, my intent is that you can relate to the characters and you can feel like you're with them. Um, and, again, I've heard that from a couple of the early readers so far, that they felt like they were um, on the spaceship or they were with the president of the United States when some of these decisions were being made, and that, that kind of gave me a, a pretty good feeling. But character development was a big one. Um, the detail level. That's that. When I look at some of the great authors out there, I am amazed how they can they can spin a web, and there's not too much detail that you get bored with the detail, but there's enough detail to tie everything together without giving the plot away until it comes together at the end, and then you can follow everything that happened in the book. And you know the great authors that are out there are just absolutely masterful at doing that and. That was um, that was a heck of a, a uh, I'm not coming up with the right word, but when I reflect back on going through this, 
the respect I gained for some of those great writers is just amazing that they can knock those books out like they do. And as soon as you see some of these authors' names, it depends on which genre you like, but you see that author's name and you immediately know detail's going to be good, the plot's going to be good, the action's going to be good, the character development's going to be good, and you don't even hesitate. You just pick it up and you know you're going to read it. Um, that's that's an art. It's a beautiful art some people have, and hopefully I'm developing that. Right, and you know, it, it always amazes me how authors, like, like you mentioned before, how they can crank out so many books. I well, they most probably that, don't have that seven kids. Me. <laughs> they most probably don't have seven kids and 10,000 soccer games and uh, work for a global aerospace company. That's what I'm going <laughs> to use as my excuse. <laughs> exactly. Well, I, I don't know that you need an excuse. I just It just amazes me how, I mean, I, I, I can't I'm not an author, so it's it's hard for me in my own mind to wrap around pulling something out of your head and creating a book about it. That just amazes me. It's like an an artist. It's difficult for me to pull something out of my imagination and, and paint a canvas, but you're painting your canvas with words. And I think, you know, the work that I do in social media management – now we're all getting into the age of storytelling. So everything is, is wrapped around the story. So everyone out there that is marketing a book or marketing a company or marketing anything has to learn how to tell a story and wrap it around everything that you're doing. So how do you, do you think that relates to how an author puts ideas into a book? an interesting thought because in today's world it seems like everything has to be delivered in a 60 second sound bite and writing that yes, story that or painting the, the uh, canvas as you said that's actually a good analogy because I was an artist when I was younger I did painting and uh, pencil artwork but uh, that's not something you can do quickly it, it's a in this impatient world we live in and I'm guilty of it too uh, it's a journey to write a book it, it's patience it's something that I'm not known for <laughs> a lot uh, to pull it all together. And to, I'm smiling right now because I'm thinking back to Ashley from Wild Blue Press. They told me I had to put a number of little summaries together to describe the book. So depending on where they are advertising it, like you're talking about, you might have a tweet that you're only allowed 35 characters for. You may have the back of a book cover where maybe you get 100 words. You know, it depends on where they're posting it. So I had to put together a whole bunch of summaries of the book. And that was actually one of the most challenging things I had to do. You take a book that's 150,000 words, you know, 500-plus pages, and you're supposed to summarize it up in 100 words or less. Um, that that was tougher than I expected it to be, and yet not give away the plot, too. So that. But that is, you, you are 100% correct. You have to package it in such a way that people are enticed by what they see to say, eh, let me check into this a little more or let me buy it. And <laughs> I like the cover, the artwork that was done for the cover, the, the summary we came up for the back. Um, 
again, I'll, I'll salute back to Wild Blue Press and the people that work for them. I, I thought they did a great job of helping me get there. And, and I, I should say that for anybody that's listening that's in that let me think about it, I'd like to try it mode, that was the other thing about Wild Blue Press that you and I didn't uh, mention earlier that I think is very important. They're a one-stop shop. I mean, they could have done the editing for me, too, but I reached out to Annie Daywood, who I knew already. Um, they do it all there. They hooked up with the, the mm-hmm. artists for the cover. They hooked up with the – they took care of all the connections to Amazon and to other places. They made that piece of it invisible for me, easy. And, uh, you know, I had, like a, 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 we've talked already, it was enough of a challenge to find the time to pull this together. I'd still be digging through all the hoops and the loops trying to figure out how to get the book to market if I had done it on my own. And and you mentioned it briefly, the royalty exchange that, that they set up is very fair. They do a lot of work to get that book out, and the best compliment I can give them is they make it feel seamless and invisible. Absolutely. And, again, it's I've, I've seen authors struggle. And, I mean, I have a very good friend who's a, a writer. She hasn't been published yet, but I'm watching her struggle, and I'm like, Honey, this is what you got to do. (laughs) And what it boils down to, and I think you'll probably agree with me, writers want to write. They want to be authors. They want to write. They don't want to get bogged down in editing and marketing and coming up with all of this other peripheral stuff that, that also goes along and is also very important. But it's like an artist wants to paint, a writer wants to write. So you just, that I, I, is a very, a very accurate summary. You just nailed the bullseye. Amen. Yes, you're, you're absolutely right as far as Wild Blue pulling it all together. And again, it goes back to the experience that they've all had with with being authors with traditional publishers, big publishers. So. They they know their they know their game and they're they're playing it very well and on and authors are benefiting from it so you you can take their experience to the bank. It's good to hear. So you know in in the little bit of time that we have left, uh, Phil, what what other things do you want listeners to know about your book? And then we'll go into um, where you can purchase this book. I think that's important. Yeah, that would help. That's a good point. I mentioned it briefly, but you can go directly to Amazon.com. If you have a Kindle Unlimited, it's actually free to you for your Kindle uh, Unlimited uh, effort. If you have just a Kindle, it's uh, fairly uh, reasonable. It, I think it's two ninety nine, and the paperback is uh, 17 and change. Um, so it's very easy to go to Amazon.com and find it. I know you can find your way through the Wild Blue Press uh, website as well, but they've set it up to make it extremely easy on Amazon. Uh, what else about the book? Uh, I, I mean, if I had to sum up everything we just said in the last uh, half an hour plus, it just it was an absolute joy for me to put this together. I loved it. Everybody who's read it so far has been extremely nice in the reviews to me there's a couple posted on um, Amazon right now a couple more coming from what people have told me Um, I I would make my day to have people tell me that they read it and they enjoyed it enough that they can't wait for the second one and that's uh, I'm putting all my creativity and back into the uh, the sequel book right now and having a blast writing that one 
Well, I think that's another point that I like to drive home to people, to readers especially. You have no idea how important a review is for an author, whether it's on Amazon or whether you send it directly to the author or whether you send it to the publisher. Those reviews are very important, and it only takes a minute now, especially with Amazon. If you if you bought the book on Amazon, there's no reason why when you finish that book, you just take that click and you go back and you write a review for that author. And you don't have to always write a five-star review if there are things that, that – you found in the book that you think might be a little more interesting a different way, go ahead and put it in there because, um, and I hope I hope Phil agrees with me, I would think the author would want to know these things as they go forward in their writing. So I, I can't stress it enough. Please, just take a minute. take Just write something back to the author. The feedback is the heartbeat. I, I can't believe you, you just went there because you took the words right out of my mouth. Everybody that I know personally that has gotten a book, I've told everyone the same thing. I've said, please be honest. If you see something you think could have been better, tell me because I'm working on the sequel and I can learn from it and make the sequel better. So I'm absolutely open to hearing any critique. Well, yes, love the positive comments. They make your day. But I also would love to see the, the critique too so that I can uh, – continue to work on this and make my craft even better. You bet. Great. Well, any any final parting thoughts that you would like to leave with our listeners, Bill? Take a leap and trust me and buy the book and let me know what you think cuz uh it's <laughs> been a it's been a joy that uh I'm really just floating on right now. Fuel fuel my energy to get the next book out. <laughs> You bet. And and would you like to give out your new website address so that people can go to ah, your website? Good point. I guess this is where I should thank my son, Patrick, too. Uh, good old Patrick, yes. that poor guy. My oldest son, he's the IT expert, which means um, anybody else out there that has uh, young adult children can relate to this. Face it, they're better with electronics than we are. <laughs> so Patrick set up a philsheanbooks.com. You can go out there and uh, read a little bit more about the author and my family. Uh, the seven kids and uh, my wife show up in there, uh, as well as my favorite outdoor office picture shot, which you'll have to go look to see to understand. It's stunning. Uh, I looked. It's beautiful. I can see how you could be so inspired there. And you can't even see the whole thing there. I'm a bird a watcher in addition to everything else. Uh, I enjoy doing a gardener and a birder. And I have literally a dozen bird feeders of different kinds around the deck. So the birds are out there singing and eating while I uh, work on my writing my novel, at least in the summertime. I have to admit I don't go out there in the wintertime. But Patrick, yeah, thank you, Patrick, uh, philsheanbooks.com. We're just building the website now, so it's a little early, but at least there's some info there that you can uh, jump to. It also has a link to uh, Wild Blue and uh, Amazon for the book, and I assume soon we'll have a link with Delilah. Oh, wonderful. I like that. I like links. <laughs> and and just, just, I'll just plug myself a little bit here at the end of this episode. Um, I am with ImaginePublicity.com, and I, it, it's a small boutique uh, social media management agency. And 
I, I have worked with a lot of authors over the years. I work with individuals mostly. I do work with nonprofits and small businesses to enhance your presence online or help you in any way that I, you think you need help. I tailor everything to your needs. So you can hop over to imaginepublicity.com and read about all the rest. And if you uh, would like to drop me a line, I'll send you a an assessment form or we can set up for a free consultation anytime. So that's, that's my plug for myself. Yay. And I'll add to that. Just like wild blue press. Um, you baptized me. This was my first podcast <laughs> and you made it quite easy for me. Thank you. <laughs> well, great. Well, see now when you go on to NPR and all of the other big wigs, you'll have this under your belt and you'll, you'll do a, a much better job. So I don't mind being training ground. <laughs> this was enjoyable. Thank you. Well, I'm I'm glad you enjoyed it as much as I did, Phil, and, and I can't wait to have you back next year when the next book comes out, and I can't encourage people enough. Give Happenstance a try. Get into science fiction. If you're already into it, you're definitely going to want to read this one, and it's been great, Phil. I, I can't wait to do it again, so we'll close out this episode and just to the message I'd like to send to everyone out there be kind to each other this this world is is hard enough please be kind <laughs>